Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. So I'm going to do my best to recap because last week and even last night, and I was looking through my notes again, I'm like, dude, I just wrote way too much stuff. There's just no way I'm getting through this. It's just not, a, not even possible. So I dwindled it down to just some very important highlighted points. So I'm going to recap and then get to the meat of it. Y'all ready? I said, are y'all ready this morning? Are we ready? Is Facebook ready? YouTube ready? I don't know. Somebody already got the lamb back there ready for sacrifice. All right, here we go. We are in a series about the Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity is so important because we have to understand that we will never fully understand all that he is, right? In Romans eleven thirty three, 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out God's ways and his judgments are unsearchable you will never find them all you will never figure them all out we will never fully comprehend we will just do the best that we can and the Bible teaches us some very important things. It teaches us that the Father is God. It teaches us that Jesus is God. It teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God. We do not worship three separate gods. We worship one God, amen, operating in three ways. We may not fully ever understand how, but that's because he's God. And he can do what he wants to do. The Trinity is not even a word that is found in scripture. It's what we it's a name that we gave it so that we could understand it. It simply just means triune. It means operating three in one, three coexistent, co-eternal persons who are God. This idea is found all over scripture. The first instance that we see it, well, not the first, but one of the most important is the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, he is God the Son in physical flesh, human form, fully God and fully man being baptized and they all see the Spirit of God descend on him and take on a physical form. They, they physically saw the Spirit of God descend on him and then we all see that it it says that they heard the voice of God saying, this is my son in who I'm well pleased. So they heard the father's voice. They saw his spirit in physical form and they saw Jesus in the flesh. This is the Trinity happening all in one moment, in one place, in one function for all to see. I'm sure that was amazing. I wish we had TikTok back then because that would have been cool. It, don't you find it interesting, though, that God chose not? To come in this day and age because of all the fake stuff that's out there too it's almost like he knew well of course he knew we are also reminded that we are in a way a trinity we are triune we are body soul and spirit we've been talking about this and i cannot wait for the next series y'all ready for it the sword of the lord is the next next series because what we've been talking about is how the sword 
comes, the scripture is the sword of God. It comes to separate soul and spirit, right? It comes to divide soul and spirit. It is, it is created in such a way that it helps us to separate the reality that our flesh, which is our emotions, cannot control our spirit, should not control our spirit, right? The only way to allow the spirit in us to be in control is to walk with the Holy Spirit, right? We have to learn to walk in the Holy Spirit for our spirit to be in charge. Otherwise, our flesh dictates everything we do, everything we say, everything we think. This is what makes us human. This is what separates us. This is the sin nature. This is the sin that entered the world. Our, our flesh became in charge, right, because of that. So we, in a, in a way, are like a trinity. So if you want to think about it, how, how can God operate that way? Well, we do it every day. We have our mind, our will, and emotions that tell our body to do something, and we have to tell our body no. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or we're trying to tell our body to do something, and we're like, no, nah, I don't feel like doing that. Right? We talk to ourselves all the time. And then we're in worship and we encounter God and something else stirs inside of us. What is that? That's the spirit of God in us. Right? We operate like this all the time. Revelation 5, we see the lamb and the scroll. We were just singing about it earlier. Who was worthy to open the scroll? Just the lamb. And the lamb became a lion. And the lion was the tri lion of the tribe of Judah. It was a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. He is this magnificent being, and yet he wants to know you. He wants to hear from you. He is literally sitting on a throne, stars in his hands, fire in his eyes, and he wants to hear your voice. Think about that for a second. Then we learned about the lion. We learned in Genesis 49 who the lion of the tribe of Judah was, where that came from, what that meant. We learned about the different roles of the Trinity and how the Father in 1 John 4, 16 is this. And we have known and believed that the love of God has for us. God is love. Everybody say, God is love. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So the Father's role is to what? Love. That's the father's role. That's his job. That's his function. Then in John 5, it says, the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. So we learn there in John 5, that Jesus's role is to judge us. The father's role is to love us. And then we learn in John 16, 8, and when he has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict us. To help us see when we're wrong. To remind us when we're off. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of Jesus is to judge and the role of the Father is to love. That's good news, amen. We learned about the lineage of Jesus. And how we find out that God used Rahab, who was a prostitute, as part of the lineage of Jesus. God used Solomon as part of his lineage, who was the result of David's affair. God used the, the, the kings of the world, and he also used the lowest of the low in the world, people who were just cast aside. God used everyone in the history line, in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, to tell us that no one's left out. Praise the Lord. 
In week three, we learned about the lamb. In Revelation 21, we read the scripture about what the lamb's bride looks like. Because the Bible says that the new Jerusalem will be his bride. It's the lamb's wife. We learned that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That in this new heaven and new earth, there will be no water. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow, no crying, no pain. There will be a fountain of life. It also talks about the fact that she's just beautiful. The bride is beautiful. There will be no sun nor moon because the lamb is the light. And there will be no lies and no sin. And that is so interesting that he points that out. There will be no lies and no sin because a lie is what gets us all into trouble. Eve believed a lie, which is why she partook of that fruit. She believed a lie. She believed that somehow she still didn't measure up. She believed she was deceived. And because of that deception, we had the fall. We also talked about the conflict in Israel and how it relates because this is all surrounded around the idea of Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. Everybody's fighting over Jerusalem as we speak. And it's getting worse by the day. We learned that my role as a pastor is pretty simple. I'm here to prepare the church for her wedding day. That's it. I'm not here to do anything else. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm not here to, to gain wealth for myself because of the church. I'm here to prepare a bride for its wedding day. I'm a bridesmaid. That's it. That's how it is. And all of our job is to help prepare the way for the Lord and prepare the church for its bride. We learned in John 1, 1, that every time John the Baptist, after he baptized Jesus, every time he saw him, he would look and say, behold, the Lamb of God. John never even addressed him again as anything else. And really, that's our function. That's our job. That's our role. That's our responsibility. That no matter what we're doing, no matter what our gifts are, our talents are, what we do for a living, our job every single day is to say, behold, the Lamb of God. He's the one we point to. If you think that your life is about you, I need you to behold the Lamb of God. If you think your gift is about you, I need you to behold the Lamb of God. Because he's the point. He's the reason we're here. Praise the Lord. Last week, we talked about the shepherd Let's go to the scripture, John 10, 7. It says, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they have, may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, 
sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my sheep. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. What we learned last week is that obedience is the key to abundance. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. He wants to give you abundance. And it, that's not talking about money, okay? It's talking about life, freedom, truth in your life, joy of the Holy Spirit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He's talking about an abundant spiritual life. The key to that is obedience. That's it. How does a sheep survive? By following his shepherd. That's it. If he goes his own way, he's not going to find what he's looking for. He has to follow the shepherd. The shepherd is the guide. The shepherd is the one that, that charts the course. He's the one that sets up camp. He's the one that knows where the green pasture is next. And once they're done feeding in one spot, he has to go to another. We also learned about submission to God's word. And that submission to God's word is the ultimate act of obedience. How do you get obedient? You submit to his word. It's going to be really difficult for you to submit to God's word if you don't know it. It's going to be really difficult for you to obey God's word if you don't know it. You have to know this. You have to read this. You have to digest this like it's food. Like it's survival. This has to be your passion every day. This has to be your desire. You should be picking up your Bible every day. I'll never, I'll never forget in my life how many times I would go. You know, this was back before technology. Now everything's technology, right? So a lot faster, a lot easier. But the only way my mom would read her Bible was to have a physical Bible with her every morning while she's having coffee. I just found her all the time, reading her Bible, drinking coffee. What's up, Ma? Love you. You know, nowadays, it's so much simpler for us. We can hit play in our car, and it'll read it to us. Do it all the time. It's cool. What does that say again? Look it up. Press play. Yells at me. Thank you. Picking my phone when I'm thinking about something. I just did it a minute ago while we were doing worship. I thought about the scripture. I pulled it up. It's fast. It's there. It's easy. We have no excuses. We have no excuse. I'm going to stop there. Let's just keep going. Submission to God's word is the ultimate act of obedience. How do you stay in this abundant life Jesus is talking about? You have to obey him. How can you obey him? By learning his word and submitting to it. Submit to his word. There's a way, the scripture says, there's a way that seems right to a man, 
but the path is destruction. You might think, I know where I'm going. I've got a plan. I've got a plan for my life. <laughs> I've got my five-year plan. I know exactly where I'm doing, where I'm going, know exactly what job I want, all these things. And great, please have a plan because it's better than not. But submit that plan. Don't marry that plan. Submit that plan. Say, Lord, this is what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? This is, this, is what I, this is what I'm envisioning for myself, but I will do whatever you need me to do. So here's my plan. You tell me your plan. But if you just make a plan and you start going, I'm just going to do this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is destruction. That's not abundant life. That's death. How do you have an abundant life? You submit to God's word for your life. You submit to his will for your life. You have to surrender your life. The final thing we learned last week was that the shepherd moves. The shepherd moves. The shepherd doesn't stay in one space. They don't camp out forever in one spot. You can't. Because the grass eventually is gone. It's all eaten. We got to go over here now. And so all of a sudden, the shepherd's voice seems farther away than it used to. All of a sudden, it seems softer than it used to be. What is he doing? He moved. Why did he move? To lead you somewhere else. Some of us get so settled in, so comfortable with where we're at with God, and we hear his voice here. And then all of a sudden, we don't hear it there no more. And we're thinking something's wrong. No, no, no. He moved. Because he's trying to show you a new pasture. He says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. He's trying to teach you how to follow. He's trying to teach you that there's another path. It should not stay the same all the time. If you haven't heard God's voice in a while, start moving. Saying, God, where are you? Where am I going? Where should I be going? Lead me. Guide me. I submit my will and my plan to yours. Whatever it is you want to do with me, you do. I'll never forget the day I got saved. I said those exact words. I said, I don't care what you do with me. Just don't make me boring. I said, I don't care. I don't care what it is you ask me to do. This was before music. This was before preaching. This was before anything like that. I just surrendered everything. Surrendered my life entirely. I said, I don't care where I go and what I do. You want to send me to Indonesia, I don't care. I said those words. I submitted my life because my life is not my own. God tells me to pack up everything, move tomorrow. I will. Not even thinking twice. I'm not attached to anything but the voice of God. You ready for today? We got 25 minutes. Let's pray. <laughs> can I do it? Pray the Lord can do it. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your word. 
I thank you for every person in this room, every person watching online, every person that's serving in the kids' ministry. Lord, I pray that you speak to every single one of us, that you clearly speak, that we begin to hear your voice above all other voices, that we begin to follow you above all other plans, above all over ideas of every, anything else that we may have for our life, that we would submit and surrender our will to yours. Speak to us this morning. Let it be your voice and not mine. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. You ready? When God sees us, he sees the shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is Jesus. The lion is Jesus. The lamb is Jesus, right? It's all him. That's the beautiful part about this. Every time I just went deeper into it, I'm like, it's it all, all of it points to Jesus. All of it. When God, God the Father looks at us, he does not see us. He sees his son. And his son is our shepherd. You see, a shepherd covers. A shepherd protects. A shepherd shields. We just read in Psalms 23 earlier that he is a shield, right? He, is, he has a rod and a staff. He uses everything to protect, to guide, to lead, to cover us. When there's storms, he covers. When there's wolves, he protects. When there's unwanted visitors, he kicks them out. The shepherd is all that the Father sees. I am convinced that our minds, unfortunately, completely obsess about our mistakes. We obsess about what we did wrong. We obsess about things that we did not get right. We obsess about our past. We obsess about everything that we, we don't want anyone to know about. We obsess about those things because the enemy obsesses about those things and he brings them up over and over and over. But when God looks at you, he does not see your sin. He cannot see your sin. Because you are covered by Jesus. I don't know if you've got that yet. I know a guy, and this is probably a really bad example, but whatever. I know a guy on Facebook. He's always posting pictures of his kids and all their accomplishments, but he doesn't show their face. And for his own reasons, social media reasons, he doesn't want social media to have their face yet, whatever. But I thought about that, and I'm like, he's covering his kids 
Like he's always covering his kids. He's always covering their face and for his own reasons. But when I think about it in this way, when I see his children, I have no idea what they look like because he's never shown us. But I know what he looks like. And so to me, his kids look like him. And that's essentially what Jesus does for us. He is our shield. God does not see your shame. He does not see your guilt. He does not see your sin. Because the blood of Jesus covers you. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. When God sees you, he sees the shepherd. And that sounds great, but it gets even better. Because in verse 16, it says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock under one shepherd. Jesus is then saying, hey, there's more out there, and we're going to go get them. (laughs) He's like, y'all aren't it. Y'all aren't it. Y'all aren't all that there is. There are more, and we have to bring them in. We have to go get them. There are sheep that are not of this fold, not of this church that we have to bring in. We have to pull towards the shepherd. It's very simple. You are on his mind. You see, a shepherd is always thinking about his sheep. All the time. That's all he thinks about. That's all he cares about. He has surrendered his life to be out in the pastures alone watching his sheep. And all he thinks about is his sheep. There is nothing else to even consider. There's nothing else to even worry about. There's nothing else to be distracted by. He is only concerned about protecting and providing for his sheep. He is the good shepherd. You are always on his mind. All the time. And you're like, where are you, God? (laughs) He's walking. And you got to catch up. But you are always on his mind. In Isaiah 118, it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. See, he relates our sin to the wool of a sheep. Because when a a sheep is clean, they're white, pure white, beautifully pure white. And he is telling us that his blood covers our sin in such a way that we never see the stain of sin again. That when God looks at you, he never sees the stain of your past. He never sees the stain of what you did. All he sees is the purity that Jesus provides. That's it. Your sin has become white as snow. Though your sin be as scarlet, they have become white as snow. That's pretty absurd, isn't it? <laughs> like we, I'm just telling you, we look at our kids when they mess up, they do something stupid. 
Man, we're on them for like a week, right? <laughs> Anybody else feel me? Did you just do that again? Stupid old. I mean, it's on our mind what they did. At least me, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a bad guy in here. Whatever. We look at how we raise our children, and it's difficult to not remember the dumb things they've done. <laughs> like, it's just difficult because we know them, right? But then it's like, oh, I did the same thing when I was a kid, so whatever. And we remember this stuff. It's kind of absurd to know that God forgets all of it. He doesn't remember it. He chooses to forget it. And he chooses to cover it. I like to say it like this all the time. God hides things from himself. He created a whole sea called forgetfulness and threw all our sin in it. And we never have to worry about that because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Can someone say praise the Lord? Though your sins be as scarlet, we're filthy. I mean, really, we're filthy. We mess up every day. We have attitude problems. We have hangry issues. In about 15 minutes, y'all going to find out. <laughs> we have... All sorts of reasons we can get upset, right? We get upset with our spouse. We get upset with our, our boss. Maybe you're upset with me. Praise the Lord. Whatever. We can find many reasons to say, yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're not doing too great, are we? We're filthy. We're dirty. And yet, he calls us clean. Yet, he calls us pure. Yet, he calls us covered as white as snow how how is this possible you can fight it if you want to but that would be vain you can fight it you want to hold on to your shame you want to hold on to your past then fight it go ahead fight it you know what you're going to find just you. You're not going to find Jesus there. The only person you find when you hold on to your past, your shame, your guilt is you. You won't find him there because he moved. <laughs> so I break it down to you like this. Let's say I wanted to give you a billion dollars right now I'm going to give you a billion with a B so I brought it to you and I was like look I want to give you a billion dollars would you say oh I'm not set up for that yet that's really generous but I can hardly handle $50,000 a year I, I can't handle a billion right now no 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 I don't want it how many of you would be like, no, give me that billion, please? Would you be worried about if you're set up for it yet? If you're ready? 
Who's not ready for a billion dollars? Oh, Hagen? Okay. We'll make sure not to give it to you. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. You lucked out. <laughs> Y'all got to go back to work tomorrow. If someone were to offer us something as generous as that, we would feel like, number one, that's absurd. But number two, thank you. Please bring it on. Yet, we look at Jesus and go, how's that possible? Why me? I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not able. I'm not capable. I, I, you must be punishing me. He's like, no, no, no. I want to give you a check. You must be mad at me. You see, that's the goodness and mercy of God. And it's hard for us to understand that. Because we think God, we think punishment. One day that's coming. But it is not now. Our life today should be an abundant life spiritually. Following him no matter what. I don't know how to manage a billion dollars. I don't. And I probably don't know how to manage a billion dollars just about the same as I don't know how to manage God's grace. If I'm honest. Because sometimes I ask the same question. Why me? Why? Why would I be deserving at all of anything that you want for me? Why are you good to me? What did I do? The truth is nothing. You've just been chosen. <laughs> what, what would we say? Oh, the grace of God is good, but it's not good enough for me. Or I've out the cross. I've sinned too much. There's no way, and I've met people like this, there's no way God could ever forgive me. I've met people like that. I've sinned too much. I've messed up too many times. I've done some horrible things. There's no way God could forgive someone like me. He said, the devil going to have me. I've met a dude like that one time. The devil going to have me. God don't want me. People don't understand how immense the grace of God is. What does it say? What does it mean? It means we're ignorant. We're ignorant of the goodness and mercy of God. We're ignorant of the truth that he is with us even in our darkest days. We are ignorant of the reality of his presence in our life. We are ignorant of his righteousness. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags, but he has made us his righteousness now. How is that possible? How have we become the righteousness of God in all of our filth? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And it's an absurd idea, but that's exactly what he wanted to do for us. It's also an absurd idea that he would lay down his life for us, but he did it anyways. Who would do that? We read it this morning in our team huddle that Jesus came not when we were perfect, 
Not when we were ready, but he came while we were still sinners. He came while we were still filthy. He came while we were still lost and didn't want anything to do with him and, and didn't care about anything about the Bible. Nobody, who cares about the Bible when they're running from God? There's no submission to God's word when they're running from God. Nobody wants to be obedient when you're running from God. And that's the person he came for. That's the person he laid down his life for. And one day, when you get an opportunity to lead someone to the Lord, you have to remind them, God came for you right here in this moment. Not the perfect version of you, but the current version of you. At some point, you're going to encounter a situation, you're going to encounter a person, and you're going to be reminded of this scripture in John 10, where he describes himself as the good shepherd, and that his sheep know his voice. Did you know that in the middle of the conflict right now that's going on in Israel, in Iran, there are thousands and thousands of Christians that love Jesus. It's a very Muslim nation. But there are so many Christians there right now and they're being persecuted. They're being beheaded. They're being killed by the, by the hundreds for their faith. We don't know what that's like. I pray we don't see it in our lifetime. I pray our children don't see it. But whenever it comes and it will come, Understand this, if you're not submitted and surrendered to the shepherd, you will fold. And that's my greatest fear. Worship team, come join me. I'm closing. Colossians 3. You ready for this one? Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. I love that it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. How do you avoid the pitfalls that come in life? How do you avoid the hurdles that you see? How do you make sure that you walk where you're supposed to walk? You have to let the word of God richly dwell in your life. I will preach this till the day I die. Read your Bible. Because it is the answer. This holds all the keys to all the questions you have. This answers all things. There is not a single topic in our world, in our culture, that cannot be answered with Scripture. We have the key. We have to learn how to use it. We can't just stop and say, well, I'm saved, I'm good. We can't stop there. We have to grow spiritually. We have to stretch ourselves. 
We have to let the Lord work in us. We have to let the Lord guide us and lead us. You don't get the fullness of all that God is in one moment. You get a glimpse, and then over time, he stretches you. He grows you. He leads you. He guides you. He fills you more and more and more. You know why we don't dwell in the word? Because we don't dwell on anything unless it's negative. Y'all can play when you're ready. We have been conditioned to dwell on the negative. We have been conditioned to dwell on our past. We have been conditioned to dwell on anything that is not good. When's the last time you were told to dwell on the good? You know what it means to dwell? It means to sit and not move. I'm going to just stay right here. Fit it in, fit it in, fit it in. Just fit in your Bible time, fit in your, your music time, fit in that quick prayer real quick. And that's all good, keep doing that. But sometimes you just need, sheep have no direction. They have no GPS. They have no idea where they're going. Sheep have no sense of north, south, east, or west, up, down, left, or right. Sometimes the wool gets so thick, it covers their eyes and they can't see anyways. You know, all they do is dwell and wherever the shepherd guides them, that's why they have good ears because they got to listen. Wherever the shepherd guides them, they dwell there and they camp out and they wait until that voice moves and then they move. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in your hearts to God. Our culture is about efficiency. There is nothing efficient about dwelling. There is nothing efficient about sitting with God. Okay? 
There is nothing efficient about spending time doing nothing but reading. Our culture is obsessed with efficiency with time. I know my schedule, man. My schedule's crazy. I'm here, I'm there, I'm here, I'm there, I'm here, I'm there. And sometimes I'm like, man, just stop. Just stop for a minute. visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.